This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. This show is brought to you by Pet King Brands, the makers of Zymox and Oratine. It's Behave with Arden Moore, the show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces. They're perfectly pampered pets in Who's Walking Who in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails. Garner great pet tips and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the pause and applause as we unleash your all-behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome to the All-Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Our special guest and I share two prominent things in common. We both love dogs, and we're both longtime news hounds. In particular, she has a loyalty to BTs, Bull Terriers. You've seen her as a news correspondent on the CBS Sunday Morning Show, and she's done that for nearly three decades. She's won like a dozen Emmy Awards, but she's on our show today as a first-time author. And what a book she has produced. It is called When Harry Met Minnie. Please join me in welcoming the very remarkable Martha Teichner. Welcome to the show, Martha. Thank you. All right. Now, Martha, she's got a new BT in the house named Girlie. And I know this is radio, but I'm hoping we're I'm going to get a glimpse of Girlie sometime during our episode. I could always call her. I love I love dogs. Girlie. Girlie. Come on. Here. Hey, I'm known as Treat Lady to dogs, so just tell her Treat well, Lady's I, on I, the I, other I, end. Come on, put your footies. Come on, put your foot. Come on. No, not that way. Come this way. She'll get around here. Come on. Yeah, girly. Oh, I'm seeing ahead. Oh, hi, girly. You're, wa- you're wild, girl. You're looking good. Spuds has nothing on you. No, she should be turning around the other way so you can see her. I see her. There she is. There hey. she is. All right, girly. There, there you she go. Is. There she is. All right, cool. Hey, guys, Martha's book, When Harry Met Minnie. It's a must-read or, as I did, a must-hear book. It features the strong bond between a pair of bull terriers and between a pair of strong-willed women. Now, the print version is by, is it pronounced Celadon? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's an imprint of Macmillan. Good. And the audio version is by, of course, Macmillan Audio. And the narration is beautifully done by, you guessed it, Martha Teister. We're going to reveal more right after we take this commercial break. So you guys know the drill. Sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a pause. For furry ones, actually, sit and stay. All Behave will be right back. Hey, pet pals, Arden Moore here. Welcome to Fall and Winter. Now, this is a great time to take your dog on a hike in the woods, maybe go on a camping trip or a road trip. But just like us, changes in weather can actually impact the skin and ears of our dogs and cats. So if you got a pet who's scratching his ears, chewing on his coat or rolling in mud, help is here. Zymox. For inflamed and itchy paws and coats, you can use the Zymox topical spray. For itchy and irritated ear issues, you can use Zymox 
enzymatic air solution. And for baths, you can treat your dog or cat to Zymox shampoo and conditioners. Now, Zymox has been your pet's safe and trusted health ally for 20 plus years. So you can pick up Zymox at your veterinary clinic, most pet specialty stores, and online. To learn more, just visit Zymox.com. That's Z-Y-M-O-X. Do it for your pet. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to Behave. Here's Arden. Welcome back to the Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Our special guest today is Martha Teichner. Now, you know her, you've seen her for many decades as the award-winning CBS News correspondent. She's been on the CBS Sunday Morning Show, but she's reported from war zones all over the globe. And she even covered that not-so-successful marriage between Prince Charles and Lady Diana. I love that you've done a lot of uh, reporting in your life, but she's here today to discuss her first-ever book. It's called When Harry Met Minnie. Now, I think of it as a cross between Tuesdays with Maury and Marley and me. And you're going to love this, Martha, only better. Oh, thank you. And I have to say, the authors of uh, Tuesdays with Maury and Marley and me are a pair of Sun Sentinel alums with me. So I'm even giving it up to my former colleagues, giving it to you. What do you think? Thank you. I'm I'm really, really uh, honored by that. So... We're going to dive in, and trust me, I will not be a plot spoiler. I don't want to do that. You sort of know the drill. So we're going to go back to 2016, and you had a pair of beloved BTs, bull terriers, named Goose and Minnie, and you had this ritual you did every weekend morning. Tell us about the uh, Union Square trip. Well, every Saturday morning, well, ever since I lived in New York, I've indulged myself and taken myself across town to the Union Square Market on Saturday morning, very early, just as it opens before it gets really crowded. And the Union Square Market is a wonderful, wonderful farmer's market. And as I say in the book, it's reason enough to live in New York City. It's just a wonderful place. And I love, I live about a mile and a half from it. And I take my big, what they call the granny cart and and push it across town. And when Goose and Minnie were alive, I'd have one leash with a coupling so that you could put two dogs on one leash. And I would push with one hand and um, wrangle dogs with the other um, so that they would not um, get in front of the cart and, you know, have me trip and run over them and fall. You know, anyway, I would go every Saturday about and get there about eight o'clock. And um, for a time, every Saturday morning, about eight o'clock, there would be altogether four bull terriers there. There would be Goose and Minnie and there would be Sonny and there would be Seamus. And um, there would be this little confab where all the dogs would get together and tourists would come and take pictures and so on. And it was a ritual for many, many years. And there were every stall, there, there were all these particular stalls that were treat stops. There was um, cheese stop. And um, these dogs get amazingly expensive cheese. Yeah, we're not talking the squirt cheese. We're talking no, all, right? This, this isn't the sort of store brand um, cheddar um, wrapped in 
shrink wrapped and so on. This is, you know, like um, minimum of 20 something dollars a pound. And, uh, but these dogs, you know, they're, they're, they're privileged. That's right. And uh, so we would go and I would have it all cut up in a, a, a hunk of cheese, cut up in little tic-tac-toe so that there were little squares and so that I could open up the package and get them to sit and eat the cheese. I would sit and eat the cheese for you, Martha. I, that kind of quality, <laughs> I'd do it. They knew all the treat stops and there were three or four other treat stops and so on and so forth. And of course, there are all the people, the, there are kind of dog people who come every Saturday and they pet the dogs and they feed them treats and, and um, all the, the people who have the stalls all know the dogs and ask about the dogs and so on and so forth. And it- that's such a good ritual. So one time, I guess, I don't want to give away everything, but, you know, Goose went to heaven and uh, you had Minnie and Minnie really liked having a hangout. BT pal, and you ran into a guy that you didn't even know his name. You just knew his dog. The man's name was Steven. So this is just a weird thing that happened to you. You can't, you can't script this. No, it was the right place at the right time. Steven was someone that I had seen way across town at the, I live on the West side of Manhattan, right uh, about a block and a half from the Hudson river. And there's a lovely park along the Hudson. And I would go there in the morning with my dogs and you see other people. And I would talk to Steven for a number of months. I would see him almost every day walking his golden retriever and, uh, we'd talk, but you know, you know, the dog's names. Um, I knew his dog was Teddy and he knew that my dogs were Goose and Minnie. And um, at one point he took a picture of Goose and Minnie in their winter jackets to send to his friend, Carol, who had a bull terrier named Harry. This is weird. This is, Hey, I got to just interject. This is guys pay attention. This is going to get woo woo, but in a good, very good way. This is really amazing. I stopped seeing him and, you know, hadn't seen him in about a year, two years, whatever. And he had moved way up to the northern part of Manhattan on Riverside Drive. And so I stopped seeing him. Well, Minnie was just completely distraught when Goose died. She was despondent and didn't want to go on walks. And finally, I got her to go to the farmer's market. And I had tried unsuccessfully to find an older dog to be her companion. And uh, so here we were at the farmer's market. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, there is Stephen with Teddy. And I had, you know, in 20 something years, I had never seen Stephen at the farmer's market. I hadn't seen him at all in a couple of years. I had never seen him at the farmer's market. The only place I had ever seen him was along the Hudson River. And he looked at me and looked at Minnie and said, well, where's Goose? And I said, well, Goose died and Minnie is really lonely. And he said, well, remember I told you about my friend Carol? And he pulls out his wallet and shows me the picture. Uh, or his his cell phone and shows me the picture that he had taken of Minnie and Goose that he had sent to Carol a couple of years before at the piers. And he said, well, Carol is dying of liver cancer um, and nobody wants her dog, Harry. He's 11 and a half and he's got some issues, but he's basically sweet. And Carol is more concerned about what's going to happen to Harry because the vet has told her that it's unlikely anybody will want him. She's more concerned about him than she is about herself. Well, this is another woo-woo. You and Carol have had the same veterinarian, Dr. Farber. Yep. 
Yeah. That's crazy. Come yeah. on. Did you buy a lotto ticket? No, I haven't ever bought a lotto ticket. I was going to say that would I be should. the best time to do it. You should. <laughs> but it was uncanny because at one point, Carol actually saw me or saw someone picking up my dogs at the vet's. And she watched our show, and so she knew who I was. And um, uh, so she said, oh, Martha Teichner has bull terriers, huh? And she told me later, and this is another of these weird things, that when she was, she had never really met me. She just knew I had bull terriers. And um, she told me later that, that when she was diagnosed with liver cancer, one of her very first thoughts was, if only Martha Teichner would take Harry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And of course, at that point, I didn't, you know, I knew none of this and she didn't know me and so on. We had once seen each other years and years and years before outside before Goose was even born. But, you know, it was like a, a three minute conversation where I commented that she had a bull terrier. But mm -hmm. uh, it's just amazing. These kind of little kind of woo woo occurrences that happened that made all, all this fall into place. I mean, some people, you know, they, they try to plot and plan their whole lives. There's got to be a lesson here for you. You've had to think on your feet as a correspondent in war zones and other places and foreign countries. You can't really plot and plan this. This kind of, this was think on your feet kind of action, don't you think? I didn't think at all. <laughs> okay. There was no thought connected with this whatsoever. It was uh -huh. Stephen saying to me, would you take Harry? And I just stood there and it was sort of like this flooded with feeling. And I say to him, I heard myself say to him, well, maybe if the dogs get along, um, yeah. it was just one of those things that you do spontaneously that you know that something big is happening and you know that it's, it's setting in motion something that's sort of um, important in your life. And uh, that... Yeah that it sort of rolled out of my gut. It didn't come from any um, comprehensive thought process. Well, I love you said that, you know, they had a, they, they got this meat on the stoop, as you call it. So tell people who aren't familiar with uh, urban areas like Philly and New York City, the stoop is really an important meeting place. Well, I live on a street of brownstones. These are kind of row houses that have brown stucco fronts. Mm -hmm. And um, it's uh, in an area called Chelsea. And the area where I live was developed by Clement Clark Moore, who wrote Twas the Night Before Christmas. Or um, you He know. wasn't my uncle. I just wanted to verify. <laughs> Well, anyway, his family um, had, had moved to Chelsea in the 1600s, I guess it was. His father was a famous, famous Anglican minister. And mm -hmm. then Clement Clark Moore developed Chelsea. He was a real estate developer and he, um, he built the whole area around where I live, which is called West Chelsea. And it's got street after street of these brownstones and the General Theological Seminary and, and so on. And they have steps up to the front door, a few steps, not a mm -hmm. lot of steps. Some of mm -hmm. them have taller steps, but my building has just a few steps and you can sit on them. And we decided that we couldn't just sick the dogs on each other and see what happened because yeah. it probably would have a disastrous effect. So we thought neutral territory, the stoop, the steps out in front of these brownstones or in front of buildings in New York are called stoops. Right. And so the first visit was Stephen bringing Carol and Harry over to me, to my house. And um, we gathered on the stoop, the two dogs, 
and the three people. And the very first time they met, they totally ignored each other. Minnie turned her behind to Harry and just completely refused to acknowledge him. And Harry spent most of the time trying to get into my pocket because I had treats in my pocket. And we sat there for a couple of hours, I'd say hour and a half, two hours. And at that point, Carol was doing, still doing pretty well. Um, She had been diagnosed in May. This was the end of July. And she had bad periods, but she was still healthy enough to go out and enjoy herself and so on. And she was feeling well enough to sit there and and we laughed and we joked and we talked. And it turned out that it was a social occasion for Steve and Carol and me as much as it it was a first date for the dogs. But uh, they they um, it was like they didn't exist to each other. That's kind of what maybe they were given to us humans. But you don't know what they were downloading on each other through their scent. Right. True. There's a lot that they can communicate without us knowing. Yeah. I always jokingly say, I wish that uh, we had the ability like dogs to be able to determine if somebody was friend or foe, genuine or not. We would probably have really good lawmakers at either side because everybody would sniff their butts and say, okay, I know what you had for breakfast. I know you're a liar. I know you're a good person. I'm voting for you. That would just solve a lot of issues if we just let... (laughs) Did you ever think about that covering elections? Well, I've often thought that dogs know everything. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty. I think they do. I do too. So one thing in your book, you had the phrase, it was if that Harry and Minnie had been married 50 years. I mean, they did connect. It just on that stoop, they were just playing cool. Yeah, cool. the next time we met, that we moved inside the apartment and um, slowly but surely they decided that they were not going to kill each other, first of all. And yeah. secondly, Minnie agreed to play with Harry and she, um, they were first very sort of cautious. And then all of a sudden, Minnie sprang into life and, and did all kinds of play moves. They roughhoused and had a grand old time. The first time it happened, I was terrified they were going to fight, but they didn't. They just played and they had a wonderful time. And pretty soon, I would say by the third visit. Date. You can call it a date. It's okay. Date. date. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were inseparable and they would sleep kind of next to each other with their paws and legs intertwined. And they, it's as if they had communicated when they wanted something from me, they would communicate telepathically and both line up to make their point. And uh, it really was evident that they adored each other. And Harry, who had all kinds of... He was a hot mess. I mean, you're... uh, I'm glad you got a steady job, gal, because he 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 has a lot of veterinary bills. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had all kinds of things. I mean, he had obsessive compulsive issues and um, he took several um, anti-anxiety kind of behavioral drugs and so on and so forth. But within six months of getting him, he was off all of his medicine. And most of his problems went away. And um, he did not display any of the behavioral issues that he had started out with. And I went, when I went to Dr. Farber, the vet, um, I said, what do you think it is? Um, how, how come suddenly after his whole life, yeah. Harry no longer needs these drugs and isn't behaving um, in peculiar ways anymore? And he said he thought it was Minnie, that he needed Minnie and that he, 
you know, all his life, what he really needed was Minnie because they complemented each other. And um, she, I guess, was the boss. And uh, but he just loved that. He was very happy. And so was she. Well, think about that. There's a book out there called The Healing Power of Pets, and it's written by Dr. Marty Becker. This is a classic example of that, don't you think? And when you think about how pets heal people, but pets heal each other at times. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, folks, we're listening to uh, Martha Teichner. This is the author, first-time author. That's pretty cool. And she hit a home run. It's called When Harry Met Mini, and we're going to talk more after we take this commercial break. So sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a walk on the red carpet, of course. All Behave will be back in a flash right after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hey everybody, I'm Rachel Ray and you're listening to OB Hate with Arden Moore on Pet Life Radio. We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to Obehave. Here's Arden. Welcome back to the Obehave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I wish this wasn't just a half hour show because you rock, Martha. Can I say that? You rock. Thank you. And I love the fact that you have a fondness for not only dogs, but a particular breed. The BTs, and I always want to get a BLT when I say that, a uh, bull terriers. They're not your average looking, average acting dog. So how did you get hooked on BTs? Well, I met my first one in, when I was based in South Africa. I was there for around three years in the 80s um, during the kind of last great gasp of apartheid and so on. And um, we did a story on a winemaker who did wonderful things for his non-white people who worked on his wine farm and so on and so forth. And um, he had a bull terrier um, named Petrus, not named after the wine, but there's an Afrikaans word called, uh, where Petrus means kind of hard place. And the dog was a red bull terrier. Um, I've oh. never had a red one, but um, wow. I've always sort of wanted a red one. The dog would come and sit on my feet. When we were doing our shooting, we were there a number of times at the, at the wine farm and he would follow us around in the fields and so on and so forth. And I just loved this dog. And um, the dog seemed to like me. And uh, whenever I was there, I had the dog ignored everybody else and came to me. And I just, they're funny dogs. They're, they're characters. They're stubborn. They're loving. They're silly. They're comical. They know they're comical. They are perverse. They're subversive. They're like all the difficult people, you know, and I guess 
Uh, that's why I like them, because they're complex and they're willful and so on. And they don't just sort of lie around waiting to be petted. Yeah, no. And now I know Bud, Spuds McKenzie and all those Air Buds. I mean, they got they kind of had their brief moment in the spotlight in the 80s and 90s. But you just kept getting other BTs. And I want you to talk if you could because sometimes things happen for a reason, but after Minnie passed away, you had Slinky. And I know you have a place in South Carolina that you visit. And this, I think maybe there's something you can share with people about your experience because it's a tough call, but it sounded like the right call. Yeah, well, I had Minnie and Harry until Harry died. And then Minnie was just, she was even more distraught after Harry's death than she was after Goose's death. And I was desperate to find another companion for her because she was so sad. By that time, she had to be 13 or 14. She was a rescue, so I don't know for sure. But um, anyway, I went through a Bull Terrier rescue organization and looked for another one. And the volunteer flagged a bull terrier at a shelter, um, at a city shelter in New York. And um, I had said I wanted an older male um, who was sort of calm and was a dog that would um, do well with Minnie. And the volunteer said, I think I've got the dog for you. He's about five and a half. He's low to moderate activity and he's dog friendly. And um, he showed me a picture of it. Um, and we were supposed to go and meet at the shelter to get the dog out and adopt yeah. him and so on. And I had never actually met the dog. But when I got there, he had already sprung the dog. I never even went inside the shelter. The rescue person had done all the paperwork. And here was this dog that was so uncontrollable that this volunteer, who was probably 6'4 and about 350 pounds, had trouble handling. He was so crazy. And I thought, wow. whoa, he's just, it's wild. And we got in an Uber and took the dog to my apartment and so on. And he was just crazy and going around and around and around in circles. And I very quickly enrolled him with a behavioral vet and... Um, we got him two things, medication yep. and five-day-a-week training. Wow. And uh, we did that for a year. And then I had to cut the training back to two times a week because he developed lymphoma. Oh. And had I couldn't afford five-day-a-week training and chemotherapy and radiation and the oncology appointments and all of that. Right. So the medication and the training were very, very helpful. And um, he became manageable and a happy dog. Um, although when I tried to socialize him the way I socialized Minnie with Harry, it didn't work. Um, Minnie attacked him. I think it was because Minnie was terrified of this dog who was probably 10 years younger. Yeah. The vets said, no, he's not five. He's probably three. And, oh, great. Um, yeah. <laughs> not low to moderate activity. And I don't know where that came from. But anyway, for two and a half years, I had to have them completely separate. And for two of those years, Slinky was manageable and he was joyful and he was wildly exuberant. The behavioral vet and the trainer said, get him tired out. So in the morning, I would throw about 120 tennis balls for him. I live on the, the ground floor of the building where I live, and I have 10 stairs down to my garden. And I have a garden in the back, and 
I would throw the balls at the top of the stairs and he'd run down 10 stairs and run back up 10 stairs. So wow. 120 balls yeah. was 120 round trips up and down those stairs. And then in the afternoon, the manager of a pet product store in the neighborhood would come over and do another hour with him and get him so tired out that it would take him half an hour to stop panting. And he was wow. just joyful. And even though I had to keep Minnie and, and Slinky separate, we managed, the, it was like French farce with this door closed and that door open. And yeah. when Minnie was out and about, Slinky was in his room. And when Slinky was out and about, Minnie was in her room and so on. Well, about the end of May, um, Slinky started having a, episodes of aggression. He had never been aggressive before. He had been exuberant and wild and crazy, but he had never been aggressive. And um, he, uh, coming back from the oncologist after um, having him checked out several months after his last chemo, he attacked me in the back of the car um, that we were riding in and hurt me quite badly. And I think he got freaked out from the incredible COVID precautions that they had and everybody in PPE from head to toe and you couldn't see their faces and it scared him. But then after that, periodically, there were other incidents. And then, and uh, New Year's Eve, we were in South Carolina for the holidays and my cousin and his wife came to visit and Slinky and I came back from downtown Charleston out to my house and my cousin and his wife were already at the house and Slinky got very agitated. And I tried all the things I normally would to calm him down, his full load of medication, a little rest in his crate, but he, he wouldn't calm down. And I played with him, tennis balls. He still wouldn't calm down. And we were sitting in the living room waiting for charcoal to cooked down so we could do steaks. And I stood up and from across the room, Slinky just flew across the room and attacked me and really tore up my right hand very badly and got me in the stomach, got me in the leg, got me in the other, the little finger of my other hand and so on. And my cousin Greg had to pull him off me to get him clear. And he wouldn't respond to no. And normally if he were these episodes of aggression, you could say, no, no, no. And he would stop and slink away. And um, right. this time he didn't. And uh, Greg got him in the kitchen and got him into his crate. And we went down 45 minutes into town to the hospital. And I ended up with five sets of stitches. Normally they don't stitch dog bites because they need to drain, but these were so bad. They had to stitch them loosely in order to get that. They were just really bad bites. And uh, so the next morning, every time Slinky saw me, he would try to attack me again. This dog that, that was my dog. And I don't know, it's like something snapped. And um, I realized I had to have him put down because um, this was not the first attack. This, uh, there had been this escalation of, of aggression uh, of these episodes over a number of months. And I thought, this is not getting better. And his medicine is no longer working. Something is different here. Well, it also deals with quality of life. It's a stress to be biting and being bit. And years ago, I had a corgi that had a similar situation and it broke my heart when I had to uh, euthanize Jazz after being attacked repeatedly. And so something snapped. So maybe, I don't know, this. I don't want to get this to be a downer episode, but it's a tough call. And there's a lot of responsibility when you have a dog or two in your life. But it sounds like you always kept what is the best for 
that particular dog in my life. So I bless you and I'm glad you're okay physically, but I know this is going to stay with you. Well, it was very, very difficult because I loved Slinky, but he had changed. I mean, yeah. something snapped and both the oncologist here and the vet in South Carolina said it's very possible his, ca his cancer came back and went to his brain. Okay. And they said it was a very plausible possibility. And that's why his medicine didn't work anymore and why these episodes uh, would just happen out of the blue, that it had nothing to do with his nature. It had to do with a medical condition. And that, that's that, right. that nine times, they said nine times out of 10, if a dog turns aggressive, there is something that has triggered it that's medical. And the miracle of it, I mean, I was just completely torn to pieces because there I had this hand in this horrible bandage and couldn't move it and, yeah. and it was, you know, blood everywhere and so on. And, and I had lost two dogs in less than two months. And when I got back to my house after having Slinky put down, I picked up my phone and went through it. And there was a text and some pictures and a video of early and the uh, one of the vets from Dr. Farber's office said, look at the sweet, beautiful girl that Chrissy, who's one of the receptionists at the practice, found yesterday in Long Island. And I told the vet who sent me the text what had happened with Slinky. And she said, the timing is amazing. This dog had no identification. And they tried to figure out where it had come from, couldn't find anything so I flew back to New York um, a couple of days later. And as soon as I finished quarantining, I went straight to the vet and picked up Girly. And I've had Girly for three weeks today. Well, Girly, you won the puppy lotto. You got Martha Teichner. She's as lovable. What's she like? She's a sweet. How old do you think she is? They think she's about three. And okay. she is totally lovey-dovey. I mean, she instantly took to beds. When you, <laughs> when you sit down to watch television on the couch, she throws herself on you to cuddle. And um, her favorite thing in the world is cuddling. Now, does she see you on TV? I saw the segment you did on the uh, nation's capital a couple of weeks ago. I watch Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, I record it. And I also am a licensed bartender. Did you know that? So I oh. make a Bloody Mary with my with julie my wife and we watch sunday morning and well that's you, nice and you did a great job doing the history of the capitol and uh it was a wonderful segment and uh so i could just see she's probably like that's my mom but my mom's right next to me on the couch hmm. <laughs> she was much more interested she saw some animals on tv i can't remember whether it was it oh i think it was a couple of days ago there were there were pictures of uh, a baby panda Oh, um, and she, she was pandas. very interested in the baby panda, much more interested in the baby panda than she was in me. Well, you know, at the end of your show where they do the nature thing, my cats get real close up on the screen if there's birds or something. And my dogs go bananas when it's squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. So just tell tell Jane Polly to, to watch out for the for the birds and the <laughs> There were, there were buffaloes, oh, I think, yeah, last, yeah, last Sunday, they and were. she was interested in the buffaloes. Oh, that's cool. Hey, I want to do a little bit before we leave you, and the good thing about our show is we don't have to stop and start exactly on time. So we got to do a little tribute to Carol, because this is a dual-plotted book. I mean, obviously, Harry and Minnie, but you got a couple of women that didn't know each other, but sort of knew each other, and you found a friend in Carol. How do you pronounce her last name? Fertig. Fertig. And so, 
and you spent time at the hospice place and, uh, you know, you got her dog, Harry, but you got something more. Tell us about that. Well, it was a very, from the very, very beginning, I realized it was a very special experience. And Carol was a very singular person. She was a sort of larger than life. She was tall and had this incredible sense of style and an eye. She was a designer of clothes and jewelry and, and stationery and furniture and home accessories and stuff for everybody. I mean, if you go through a magazine like Vanity Fair or Vogue or something, and you look at all those ads that you have to go through before you get to the table of contents, yeah. she designed for or did brand strategy for practically every one of them. And wow. um, she just was an incredible personality. Um, and no matter what she did, you thought, wow, that's really cool. If only I could be like that yeah. and, and so on. And she was interesting and fun and stoic about her death. And um, she was one of those people that the minute I met her, met her for real with Harry, as opposed to 15 years before or so, um, when I had met her, when she, she and her previous dog, Violet, were sitting at a restaurant on the street and I walked by and I said, I have a bull terrier too. And we chatted for three minutes, but I had always remembered that and realized it was the same person, but she was that memorable that I would have remembered her all that time later. And she was one of those people that I wish I had known for 20 years instead of a few months. And the further we got into this matchmaking with the dogs, the more I liked her and the more um, important this whole set of experiences seemed to me. And the more I realized that, that you've got to say yes to things, um, that it's so easy as your life proceeds to fall into a routine, to see just the people that you know, to say, oh, well, I have to work, and to let new experience and new friendship pass you by um, because of the rut you're in or the just the, the, the what you're busy doing and what your responsibilities are. And here was this sort of incredible set of circumstances that fell into my lap. And Yes, the dogs part of it was fascinating to me, but knowing Carol and getting to know her and being part of the circle of people who were her chosen family as opposed to her biological family, she, she surrounded herself with this wonderful group of people who were devoted to her and were fascinating, all of them, and who would have done anything for her and who in many cases physically and emotionally took care of her. And I was admitted to that circle. And I had wonderful times with Carol, even though she was getting sicker by the day. And I was with her when she died. And um, one of her friends, there were four of us with her when she died. And one of them is a doctor. And he stood up. And the first thing he did was he actually was the one who noted noted the time of her death because there wasn't a nurse in the room. And he got up and he said, it's a privilege to be with someone when they die. And yeah, I agree. I had never thought of that, but it's really true. I had been with my mother when she died. And that was something that I've treasured all my life because it was so important to me to complete the circle of her life with her. And, um, and I realized that that, that wording that, that Carol's friend uh, used was just, it was exactly right. And to have, in that time that I knew Carol, 
have become close enough to her and her circle and to have all these experiences that I will treasure for the rest of my life and to have her dog whom I treasured for the rest of his life and will always love. It was just a singular, important piece of my life. Yeah. Well, I hope we get to have a segment on CBS Sunday morning about this. Well, Rocka gets to promote his books. Come on, Martha, you got to promote your book. We're, yeah, we're, we're, having a, we're having a piece on Sunday. It is? Oh, okay, good. Yeah, good. And, I, will, um, I will be there with my Bloody Mary. How's that? Now, the only problem is that we're trying to figure out how to make it shorter because we're being given six minutes, and right now it's um, uh, closer to seven. So. Okay. Well, and the other thing, guys, what do you think about being a first-time author? I've written a number of books, but my first book was not a home run like this one is. So, well, I mean, thank you. Um, I'm really, really excited about being a first-time author. I mean, it's not every day that when you're 73, um, your first book is published, but right. that's okay. Writing has been my being since I was old enough to write. And I think I started writing maybe when I was about six. And I've always wanted to write a book. I've, uh, because of the nature of my job, finding time has always been the issue. For a number of years, worked in my spare time on what I would like to have done as a book about Piggy, my first um, bull terrier, the, um, the one I got as a result of meeting a bull terrier in South Africa. He lived on three continents and um, he had a very interesting biography. And I thought a book about him would be great. But then this story came along and yeah. I started keeping diaries after the very first week that Carol came over with Harry because I didn't want to forget any of it. I realized instantly that it was interesting and important and um, special in my life. And I didn't want to lose any of the detail. And you realize how quickly you forget things. And mm -hmm. writing the diaries, um, I would rush to find time when I could write everything that happened um, so that I wouldn't forget it. And about a couple of months into this, I realized that with the arc of this story, there was a, a book in there, maybe. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I didn't know whether I could get it published or anything else. So I went to Carol when she was still alive. And I said, Carol, I won't do this unless you agree, because this is your life. This is your dog. This is your death that I'm writing about. And but just, you know, if you agree, I would like to try to write a book about it, because to me, it is special. It is. And, um, and I would like to give you and Harry and Minnie a legacy. And, you know, and aside from that is that dogs should have legacies, but usually don't. They're, oh, your dog died, as opposed to Minnie and Harry and all these beings that have. They're sentient beings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, she paused for a minute and then she looked at me and said, I would be honored. And so that set me about spending a great deal of t more time, you know, really, really working hard on the diaries because I knew that I was planning <laughs> and shaping it. Um, I had no idea how you went about it, but um, I was lucky enough to find an agent through a friend of mine who um, taught me how to do a book proposal. This is a kick, you know, 73 first book. It's awesome. And I wanted to finish because Brava, Brava, you got to be the narrator. I would have been so bummed if you know, it was some other chick's voice telling yeah, that I story. Said, I want to do it. You have a great voice, obviously. 
And so, you went to the New York Library, I guess, and uh, found a reading room to be able to do some of these? As I um, said in the, the acknowledgments in the back, just as I was taking a couple of weeks off at the end when I had had a deadline for the manuscript to get it into the publisher, I uh, discovered that the, my new neighbor downstairs was doing a gut renovation in her apartment, <laughs> directly below the chair at my dining table where I work. And I thought, oh, I can't work. What, what am I going to do? Because, you know, where was I going to go? It was, um, there aren't too many places to go. So I thought, well, people write books at the New York Public Library. There have been famous, famous books written at the New York Public Library, but I've read that there are like year-long waits for um, wow, permission wow. to work in their spaces. They have a special space where authors kind of set up and have their own carols and so on and so forth. And I thought, well, on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock, I called the New York Public Library press person and I called a couple of other places as well. And the only one I heard back from was the New York Public Library. And the per one of their people um, who's involved with these spaces got back to me at seven o'clock on a Friday night and said, I will meet you at 10 o'clock on Monday morning with your card key to this particular room and you can come and go and use it as you wish. And um, wow. That's, there you go. See, so, it's destiny, Martha. It's destiny. And you were, did such a great job of narrating. I mean, I felt the emotions. And thank uh, you. I just want to tell you, I don't get gushy for real. I'm like you. I've been a reporter my life, all my life. I salute you because you saw that this was a message that had to be told for many beings, some that have four legs and some that have two. And uh, I just hope it is heard or read by many, many people, especially now. We need a Martha Teichner right now. Oh, well, thank you very much. I mean, I, I realize this was done more or less before COVID, but um, I've got to say that in the context of COVID, I look back and even though there are sad aspects to the story, there's also something about connection. The whole story is about connection. It's, you know, the whole episode in my life. It's about connecting people and animals and unexpected friendship and love. And um, maybe it has some resonance in the, in the, the time of COVID. I think so. And what do I know? But I'm just saying, is there anything else you'd like to add? Because I really want everybody to get their paws on when Harry met Minnie. I just have to be careful. I don't say when Harry met Sally. Well, it was intended. I know, I know. I'm just Can saying. Can I hold up the book? Yes, please. Minnie's the white one and Harry is the black and white one in their jacket. I took the picture and the publisher sort of doctored it because we were actually sitting on that bench at Chelsea Piers by the Hudson. And you put oh. what's really behind that bench is bushes, but then the river beyond it. But they wanted to see the New York skyline in the, in the background because it's very New York. This oh, yeah, story. It is. there's a lot of it New is. York in it. So they doctored it. So the way if you look at it from if you're trying to figure out where it was taken, they've fiddled with it. It would have to be in Brooklyn looking across the East River in order to see the skyline where it is. Well, you know what? You just gave all your fans another challenge. I, I like that. Hey, everybody. I have been honored and delighted to have as our very special guest on this show, Martha Teichner, the author of When Harry Met Minnie. 
Check her out every Sunday on the CBS Sunday Morning Show. I also want to do a big shout out to my producer, Mark Winner, the Wizard of Paws. He is the executive producer of Pet Life Radio. We are the longest running, largest pet podcast network on the planet. And I have to be careful not to pop my peas. Um, <laughs> please, guys, go check out me at Ardenmore.com. Every Wednesday night, I go to the cats and I host Meowie Hour with the Cat Fancier Association and with my cool ginger boys, Rusty and Casey. So until next time, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two, three, and four-leggers out there. Oh, behave. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.